0: Hey friends, welcome to this week's episode of Not Your Mama's podcast. I'm excited. We have Meg George on. She is a mom, writer, speaker, and a consultant on impactful philanthropy. And we are so excited to have her on today. So Meg, tell us about your work. What does it mean to be a philanthropy advisor?
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And thanks for the question because I grew up without ever using the word philanthropy or having any idea of what this concept meant. Philanthropy is the actions we take to make the world a better place. So the word itself actually means love for mankind. And when you think about it that simply that's exactly what it is. It's it's the way that we can improve the lives of the people around us and the communities in the world that we live in. Modern day philanthropy is very much linked to the facilitation of money. So charitable giving, uh, donations, those kinds of things. And being a philanthropy advisor means that I'm consulting with nonprofit organizations on how to be really strategic in raising money that they need to fulfill their plans and achieve their goals. Typically, that's around some kind of project or initiative Mm -hmm. and advise families on how to be really thoughtful and intentional in giving their money away. You wouldn't think that that would be a job that requires help, but there are so many charitable organizations and worthy causes that I think it can feel overwhelming to feel like you're having a lot of impact with
0: your charity and also finding fulfillment in what you're doing. No, I love that. Cause so many people want to like donate, have, um, you know, a cause and purpose in life. And I think when you give, it really does give you back tenfold, like for you personally and emotionally. Like I know, like just for instance, this is Not the same, but like just even giving a compliment to someone during the day can like make you feel so much better. And so I love that you help people try to reach those goals in the philanthropy space because, you know, I've always thought about having a charity or it's like, how does one start that, you know, like these nonprofit fundraiser things, because it's just goes in over my head. So if someone was interested in doing something like that, how would you advise them in such way?
1: Most people right now, when they found something like a nonprofit are doing Mm -hmm. it because something has happened in their life that has so profoundly affected them that they want to pay it back and they feel like there needs to be a real home in place for this mission. But the truth is that our country is so saturated in nonprofit organizations that it's kind of forcing people to spread their money a mile wide and an inch deep rather than be a little bit more intentional and deep when they're giving. And that's something I'll talk about relative to the book when we get to it. But if you are passionate about a cause and feel like you want to help raise money for it, the best thing you can do is find a nonprofit. Uh, legally, they're formed as something called a 501c3. Mm-hmm. Find one of those that really like moves you and ask mm-hmm. them how you can help or do something Um, do something that helps raise support that can go directly to an organization that's already carrying out programs and services that you believe in because there's a lot of things in this country that are duplicated right now and Mm -hmm. it's a little bit confusing for donors on where to put their dollars because they feel great about really similar things if that makes Mm -hmm.
0: sense yeah yeah. And, and, and to your point, you know, you wrote that children's book focused on philanthropy and it's launching this fall. So we can't wait to get our hands on it. So what inspired you to write the book and what was the mission behind it?
1: I think I work in a really niche space. I hardly ever meet other philanthropy advisors, although I live with one because my husband and I balance our we, we co-founded mm-hmm. our consulting firm together. But I also have two children and it feels like the stats around charity can feel a little doom and gloom. People like our grandparents were far more philanthropic than they're telling us that our generation is. Um, I think there's a lot to unpack there because we are charitable in different ways than just handing somebody a monetary donation or writing a check. But that aside, I feel really motivated to kind of steer the ship in another direction. And I think that we can make our country more philanthropic by making our children philanthropists. Mm-hmm. So my children are five and seven, they have the benefit of hearing about philanthropy all the time, because both of their parents do this for a living. But most children don't. And in fact, even my own family members are just hearing that word and concept for the very first time. Because it's not used that often commonly. It's been reserved for uber wealthy, famous um, people who are involved with charities. And my goal with the book is to actually level the playing field. Like, Can we make our children grow up believing that they are philanthropists so that when they are adults, they are true philanthropists? And it's just a part of their fabric to be generous and feel the joy um, of, of engaging in that.
0: Yeah. And you know what? And it really helps build like teamwork and making the world a better place in, in the whole like grand scheme of things. So if, if we raise our children to give back, like there'd be less like of that selfishness in them and, and things like yeah. that. So I really love the mission. I think it's great because especially I think kids in America, they lose, they lose sight of that, you know, because we're such like a consumer. Yeah. We Like, what can we get? And like, They get that kind of from like you know us as the adults because you know we've been living that life and trying to get that like American hustle and I put that in air quotes you know so you know it's it's good for the children to be reminded that like life isn't always you know iPads and you know I know instant gratification you know and and I know you need help and and you know I I think it's a smart a smart move.
1: We live in such a excess culture. And my kids have been learning this week at school about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And I tell them growth mindset is also so very much tied to philanthropy because as adults, we can kind of interpret those mindsets too into the idea of um, like abundance or scarcity. So when we live feeling like our kids deserve everything and we need everything in our household and for our family and for their birthdays and holidays, then we're probably less apt to be generous, to be philanthropic. But if we mm-hmm. can live with an abundance mindset, a growth mindset, then we can always like, claim more. And we can always give away and give and give of ourselves because mm-hmm. there's more to claim and to take. So I think that our the generations that are rising stand the opportunity to learn more about how much there is in this world and how lighting someone else's flame does not put out your own.
0: Exactly. If anything, it makes it burn brighter,
1: you know, and I
0: think, and I think that's a great reminder that we do need to instill in us so that we can remind our kids about that. Cause it, I think knowledge starts with like the power of us knowing and just keeping that open mind because we can get lost in it too. You know, it's so easy, you know, if you're not thinking about that constantly to just forget about it indefinitely (laughs) you know like oh wait I should I know how can I contribute more to the world than I already am so what do you say to parents teachers and caregivers who aren't familiar with this word of philanthropy and the concept Um, you know the book is written in such a way that removes the intimidating feeling of a big word like the philanthropy can carry so so how can you talk about that with people
1: yeah, I, like I said, I'm, I have just never used that word growing up. And it doesn't feel like commonplace in households mm-hmm. to use that word. And what I would really like for people to do is realize that we don't need to overcomplicate it. When we are generous, when we think about other people and give something of ourselves. Again, we usually tie that with money, but it also can be our time and our belongings. Mm-hmm. We are engaging in philanthropy. And what a really powerful word. It, it means something so much bigger than all of us. And I chronicle the day of a life through this little girl, Philomena, in the book where she learns the word and she also learns the concept, the idea through a series of conversations with family members. But at the end of the book, she learns the feeling. And what I want parents, grandparents, teachers, nannies to all uh, think about when they read the book is that at the end of the day, when we can evoke a feeling in our children, that's what's going to stick with them. Mm -hmm. So let's take the idea that this word is a little hard to say, a little long, kind of new to most of us. And let's put that in the backseat and really put at the forefront that we can actually do good. And it makes us feel really good, too. So I, I don't mean to speak in, um, you know, just kind of philosophical ideas. These are real life things. When a library needs to meet their budget outside of taxpayers' dollars, they ask for donations. Mm-hmm. When um, performing arts centers want to bring more ballet or music to communities, they ask for support, financial support, uh, hospitals um, with a research component, they fund breakthroughs through sometimes one family writing a check for $10 million and making a commitment through a foundation that they will fund that. And I think if kids know that, they're not too young to understand that because of other people's generosity, we can receive more in this life. And I, and I want them to know how the world works based on philanthropy and because of people choosing to be selfless, so that they can make those choices too. they, they learn from what we do, not what we say. So I think there's a lot of power in just talking about how our community works to support homelessness and health and and art and research.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's true, you made up a a good point, like things aren't taught, they're caught, you know, so they're going to pick up on our behaviors and our actions and the words that we say. So it, it is important to lead by example. And, um, yeah, no, I really like that. And I, and I think it's important because, you know, they don't, I don't even know, like, do they even talk about this type of stuff in the education system about giving back and, you know, volunteering and things like that. I don't know. I've been so out of it. My kids are just now starting. So I I, like kindergarten. So I don't really know what's going on. I mean, I do know a little bit what's going on, but not in terms of philanthropy and giving back in that way, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm lucky that my kids go to a school that really prioritizes a different character trait every month. And in November, uh, which is the same month when Philanthropy National Philanthropy Day is, they will have you know a generous um, topic for the whole month. So that will be instilled in a lot of their lessons and across the entire school. And in fact, they even award somebody who displays that character trait of that oh, month. And it is really nice because it just normalizes the fact that that's what kids of all ages do is you know display this tr- whatever that tremendous thing is for that month including generosity and i think that schools use tools that are accessible a lot to teach kids and books are some of the easiest things mm-hmm. to acquire in that way so that's a goal of mine is can a second grade teacher pick up a book where every kid in the class might be hearing the word philanthropy for the first time and then all of a sudden at least for that day the idea of that word and like how I can be a helper and the fact that I'm not too young to improve Mm -hmm. the world is actually a part of the class conversation and in a young child's mind
0: yeah no it makes total sense Okay, Meg, so I have four questions I ask all my guests, and I can't wait to know what your answers are. And my first one is, who and what inspires you?
1: Children who are brave and brilliant and courageous inspire me because I look at the future of the world and our country, and I see how people are not scared to ask tough questions and ask why and dig deeper into what they're being told to do. And that inspires and motivates me to keep mm-hmm. doing my work and to keep parenting the way that I do because how both refreshing and exciting is it to think about the fact that we're preparing like our world for the next generations to take right. it over and that they're already showing that they're enthusiastic and energetic to know all the things that they can know and like take action i love that
0: yeah no it is so cute i love like seeing like the inspiration and in, like the kids eyes or like when something like that aha moment that clicks or yeah, yeah i love that there there's there's just so sweet and like innocent, like ready to learn about the world and and all really do have like true, genuine, good intentions on like trying to be like the best and how to help and, and all that stuff. So yeah, I love it. They're ready to be molded. Exactly. So my second question is, what is something you wished you knew when you were younger?
1: I wished that I knew more about growth mindset and the idea of living a life of abundance when I was younger, because I felt um, competitive and serious and I felt like mistakes mattered so much and every life choice I made was going to be such a significant one and at the end of the day, if you are a confident and honest, hardworking um and personable person, you can make it in this world. And you can find work that you love and find people who you actually want to be around. And if I could have a conversation with my younger self, I would introduce the idea of um, abundance over scarcity and growth mindset over fixed mindset, so that you can kind of take the pressure off of you a little bit about constantly being perfect or taking everything you can and knowing that there's a lot in this world to claim for
0: yourself. Yeah, no, that's good. That's like a great reminder to just relax. Like, you know, you're going to be taken care of. Like, I know there's like, I feel like my younger self can say the same thing too. You know, like you don't need to be so serious. You know, you're going to be taken care of like this too shall pass. It's just a season, you know?
1: Totally. I'm with you on that.
0: Um, Okay, so what's the essential part of your daily routine?
1: It feels like probably a lot of moms especially would say this, but being by yourself and being able to hear yourself think, right? When my kids go to school, even if I go outside by myself for five or six minutes, it feels like such a restart to my day, I need to be able to think and organize my thoughts. And if I'm constantly hearing noise and voices and having to answer questions, I am the first to admit that I lose my patience. And I don't like that version of myself. So the essential part of a daily routine that results in me being the best version of myself means I need a few minutes of like a smart water and a walk or some kind of outside (laughs) time by myself. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, it makes such a difference. Um, And then my final question to you is the best advice you've ever received.
1: A little bit taboo, but I'll stand by it. Work smarter, not harder. I grew up in a culture that was like, do not call in sick, do any job you have to do to make money. Like, be the first one in the office and the last one to leave. We live in a very digital world, an evolved, ever-changing society, and if you can think critically, if you can think for yourself, if you can advocate, if you can communicate, you can work smarter, not harder, and have Downtime and feel fulfilled by your work and find things that feel really meaningful for you and well aligned with your skill set. So that was advice that I was given right out of college. And I've always stood by it.
0: Oh, I love it. No, that's great advice. And a great reminder for people out there just kind of, you know, worried about, you know, what their next steps are. Um, so before we go, do you have any last words to the mamas out there? Thank you for
1: caring so much about being a good mom because all of us who listen to a podcast like yours and who are constantly thinking about what we can do to make sure that our kids are set up for the best possible life means that we are trying so hard at our job as a mom and I'm grateful to all the other moms on that same journey. Um, My book has been such like a labor of love and I'm just tremendously grateful for anyone. Uh, November 15th it'll be available who wants to pick up a copy and start to explore this conversation with your own family. I'll always be posting resources on my website just to make the conversation even easier and fun because giving back should be like an enjoyable thing that we do. So thank you.
0: No, thank you, Meg. And thank you for everyone listening to this week's episode of Not Your Mama's podcast. All of her links are down below in the show notes. Don't be shy. Go say hi. And I hope to see you all in the next one. Thanks, guys.